0: Welcome to the neighborhood, indeed. Thank you, and that'll be it for today. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think when you think of neighbor, most everybody that's older than me, which is a lot of you, um, uh, would think of Mr. Rogers. He is the classic example of what is a neighbor. And so this is the third week in our series plan A. As we have been um, walking through and discovering what is God's purpose for us, our community, and even outside of our community. And so in that first week, Pastor Phil brought us to the heart of God as we discovered that people radically matter to God. That his pursuit of people is above any other pursuit of anything else. And then last week, Pastor Daniel brought us to Jesus' new commandment. As now we see that The way to be right in God's eyes is not by following all these rituals and and isolation and just religious worth, but instead it's to love the people that he's created. And so that brings us to today's topic, which will be the Good Samaritan. Because in the story um, and in Jesus' teaching, um, Jesus basically says that the new commandment is to love your neighbor. And and that was pretty revolutionary because he puts it on the same platform as loving God. But in this story of the good samaritan before it even starts this lawyer he's a, it says a young lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks him essentially what is the most important thing? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What is that one thing? And so Jesus then goes in and starts this whole story. Um, And so today, if you would turn with me, whether in your physical Bible, on your phone app, um, to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Um, It's a longer passage, so I'm going to read it um, for you guys. And I want you to listen close to what's happening um, as Jesus is talking. And afterwards, I'm going to go into and, and explain some of the intricacies of it. So in Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself and he said to him you have answered correctly do this and you will live but he the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus and who is my neighbor Jesus replied a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half-dead Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, To the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. And so Jesus always has an interesting way of answering questions. He very rarely gives straightforward, straight-to-the-point questions. He kind of makes you work for it. And in that, in the journey of working for it, we discover so much. And so to explain this story a little bit more, because on the surface we can read this And we can come away with the sense that this story that Jesus is telling us is telling us to just be nice to the people around us, to help the occasional person in need, you know, be a good Samaritan. That's where the phrase came from, you know, Samaritan hospitals and and everything like that. And so there's so much in our culture that stems from this perception of the good Samaritan. But Jesus in this story is trying to tell us so much more. And so first, the first thing to notice is the lawyer in asking this question, who is my neighbor? It says that he was trying to justify himself. And I think that's really interesting because originally, when he would have grown up reading and hearing to love your neighbor, what that meant for them is to love your fellow Jews, to love the people around you, to love the people that thought like you, that looked like you, that were in the same religion as you. And as long as somebody wasn't in that, you didn't have to love them. Notoriously, the Jews were extremely isolated, and they were very um, just up on their high horse looking down at other people. And so the lawyer wanted Jesus to answer and say, your neighbor are your fellow Jews, because then the lawyer could say, that's awesome. I've been doing that. I meet that check. We're good, and I'm good. He wanted to justify himself, but the story that Jesus tells gives him a very different answer than what he was hoping to have and so first this this journey that the first traveler is making from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was notoriously dangerous, like everybody knew that there are robbers on there, and so we don 't know exactly why this first traveler is going anywhere. And in fact, Jesus doesn't even tell us the motives for pretty much anybody in this whole story because he doesn't want people getting hung up on the motives. He wants his main point to jump off the page and to just capture our whole attention. And so it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary that somebody you know, going down this path would have been essentially mugged. And so he's mugged, he's beaten, he might have fought back, and they basically take everything, take all of his clothes, and they leave him for dead. And along comes the first person to find him. And in this story, this is really interesting because the priest, the lawyer, was most likely a priest as well. And so as Jesus is telling this story, he says, and along came a priest. The lawyer who asked this question and the rest of the audience would have been like, oh, that's him. And so the lawyer is looking at what this character in Jesus' story is doing because he wants to know how highly Jesus thinks of him. And he wants to know what his character that he identifies with is going to do. Because that's what he should do, right? Because Jesus is answering his question. But the priest, who is essentially the Jewish superhero of the day, passes to the other side. And he doesn't do what everybody is expecting him to do. This is mind-blowing <laughs> for the audience, because they're like, no, he was supposed to do the right thing. Jesus, you got it wrong. But Jesus keeps going on. He says, all right, well, the second person came by, and he's a Levite. And Levites were just one of the tribes um, of Israel. And so the Levite was essentially the um, priest's assistant in the temple. And so maybe the priest was in a hurry. Maybe he had a lot on his plate that day. Maybe he was sick. Who knows? But this Levite's going to get it right, because he's the next one up there. And the Levite, what's really interesting, is when he was serving at the temple, he had to wear these pure white linens. And if they weren't pure white, then he wouldn't be able to serve in the temple. He would have to be further away from where the presence of God was if his clothing wasn't perfect. And so as this Levite sees something that will get him messy, something that will be an inconvenience might even risk his safety because the robbers might still be around there, the Levite deemed his religious worth more important than the person lying on the ground. And so the Levite steps to the side. And again, the people are like, what in the world is going on? These two people, of all people, should be the ones to get it right. These are the people that we're counting on because the priests and the Levites were the mediators between God and man. They were the ones that taught The everyday people, how to know God, how to be close to God. They were the ones that actually offered the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so if these people aren't getting it right, then what is going to happen? And so the third traveler um, comes along. And in the original Greek language, it's really interesting because in Greek word order doesn't matter, and words can be wherever they want. But the writer specifically puts Samaritan at the beginning of the sentence, which when you're reading it, it would have been like screaming off the page. It's like putting it in italics, bold, and underlining. It's overkill. But it's so that way it jumps off the page. And the reason that he does this is because of who Samaritans were. Samaritan, we hear that, and we think all good things. Kind, loving people, the good Samaritan. But in that day, Jews hated Samaritans so much. There was one point in Israel's history where Syria came in and they took over and they took all of the Jews, all the healthy ones at least, and they put them in a different part of the world. And in that vacant space, they brought other people in and they transplanted them there. And that people group mingled, co-married, you know, made their own new melded race with the remaining Jews. And these people is who the Samaritans were. And so these people claimed Jewish heritage. They claimed a lot of these things that Jews held so precious, and they said, no, that's only for us. They claimed their religion, they claimed their ancestors, and Jews hated them for that. Jews and Samaritans constantly fought. They were constantly quarreling. Um, Jews had this racial hatred for Samaritans. Samaritans were the enemy. They were the evil that Jews tried to avoid. And so Jesus, in this story, as he's telling it, basically yells Samaritan at them. And they're like taking it back and they're like, what's going on? And of all the people, the Samaritan is the person who helps this beaten up, mugged traveler. He has compassion on him. And not only does he do the bare minimum, he treats him like family because in the day, Oil and wine, you know, using that for cuts and bruises was home remedy. And so he shows this familial care to him. And then he brings him to an inn and he pays for his lodging and gives him two denarii. And the denarii, you could live about a day on a twelfth of a denarii. And then it says that he even offers more. And so he's pledging to help this person for a whole month. Somebody that he doesn't even know. The Samaritan goes above and beyond what is even required of him to do this. So at the end of the story, Jesus says, so who proved to be the neighbor? And so this is Jesus' form of an answer. This is how he is answering the original question of who is my neighbor? And what he does is he answers the question with a question, which is classic Jesus, um, and he flips everything on its head because first, the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? What the lawyer wants to know is he wants to draw a circle around himself and he wants to say, who are the people that I have to love inside my circle and who are the people I don't have to worry about outside my circle? Are the Samaritans people outside my circle so I can be justified with God while I hate them? Are the Greeks and Romans, the people persecuting us and ruling over this, are they outside my circle so I don't have to love them? Jesus, just tell me who the people are inside my circle so that way I know I get it right and I don't have to worry about the other people around me. The lawyer is trying to put limits on his life of who he has to love. But instead, Jesus answers and he says, who proved to be the good neighbor? Instead of focusing on who you have to love, Jesus says, who was the person who loved? The lawyer And I now have to ask myself, am I being the person who loves? Not focusing on who is receiving my love, not focusing on who in my life, or the political affiliations, or where they land in my life, or their actions towards me. Am I the person who is loving? Because it's easy to ask that first question and say, who's my neighbor, where are the limits? Because if I'm being honest, if I had my natural way of the circle that I want to draw around myself, that's probably gonna be a pretty small circle of people that I feel comfortable, that I enjoy loving, that are easy to love. I'm not gonna go outside of my comfort zone. I'm not gonna go outside of my way over my limits if I already have limits like pastor Daniel was talking about last week we always find loopholes in lots of rules and this is exactly what the lawyer is trying to find he's trying to know who does he not have to love and some of us may find ourselves asking that same question who do we not have to love who can we get by with who has wronged us so much that we don't have to love, but instead Jesus is challenging us, and He's saying, My love requires that you ask yourself, Are you loving? Are you loving in your life? And so, this is of paramount importance that our focus can no longer be on the limits of who we have to love and who we have to go to. Instead, the focus is on the love that is pouring outside of our hearts because the love of Jesus is so real. And I I find it interesting and ironic that at the end of the story, so Jesus asks, and who proved to be the neighbor? The lawyer, in light of this story, still probably years of hatred for Samaritans, it seems like he can't even muster up the courage to say Samaritan. He just says in answer, the one who had mercy on him. This Jew still can't get over the fact that he hates Samaritans. But there is hope because Jesus, in that moment, still has grace on him. And he says, go and do likewise. Jesus still has grace for us and our failures when we do not love others the way that we should. And so as we get into this application of what does this actually look like, in our lives today? What is this good Samaritan that Jesus is telling us that his love transcends all boundaries, all hurts, all past actions? What does that actually look like in our life? And so I want you to hold on to this next upcoming phrase because so much of our application is going to come from it. What I want you to understand is that there are two types of love. People who only know Jesus through religion, have controlled and comfortable love for others. You see, the priest and the Levite, their religion, their set of rules of how to live in order to be considered right with God took precedence in that moment. So they said, you know, at this point, I'm not very comfortable with reaching down and taking care of this person. And so I'm going to deem my religion, my set of rules, as more important. With religion, when we don't have that relationship, we can look at people and we can say, yes, I'll love you. Yes, I'll love you. But no, you fall just outside of what I feel comfortable loving, and so I'm not going to love you. And we pick and choose through religion who receives God's love through us in our lives but people who know Jesus through relationship have consuming and costly love towards others for all the Samaritan knew there could be a band of Jews just behind some rocks and they could see him and they would have killed him because of their hatred and he waited He took time to help this man risking his own life. He risked his own reputation with the Samaritans. If they had ever found out that he helped a Jew, he gave his own possessions, his own money, his time to reach out and show love. In our relationship with Jesus, when we have grabbed a hold onto how much Jesus has done for us, All the things that Jesus has overcome that I have done in order to love me, when we understand that, our love for others will be consuming and costly as well. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, in this story, is talking about somebody going outside of their comfort zone, overlooking hatred and prejudice in order to love somebody and if we're being honest, there are people in our life that we don't get along with. Um, maybe they're just annoying. Maybe they're terrible co-workers. Maybe they're family members that have hurt you. And sometimes making that switch between you know putting up with somebody or hating somebody to like liking them and, and being okay with them can be easy enough. But that is not what Jesus is preaching here. And to go even further... To go even more drastic, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew um, 5. And in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Jesus says this, and he's contradicting everything that these people, his audience, the Jews have ever known and counted on, that their way of life was about isolating people and just following a set of rules, and Jesus is poking holes in their rules and saying, "Listen, th- you missed it if you focused on the rule. You missed my heart." And so Jesus says this: "You have heard it said, "You shall love your neighbor." We have heard that, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven." For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. No pressure. Um, Jesus is a good, good father, and all his ways are perfect. But Jesus is flipping their world upside down because the Jews were so used to knowing and serving God by loving the other Jews and hating anybody that wasn't like them, that was perfectly acceptable in their culture. And Jesus is saying, that is not what my love is. That is not what the love of the kingdom of God is. Is. And this would be really hard to follow. It is really hard to follow. But Jesus gives us an example of what that looks like. Because his example of his great love is that while people were hating him, while people were literally committing sin and murder to him, crucifying him, he loved them paid for their sins and he said, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That the radical love of Jesus does not make sense in our culture. It doesn't. It doesn't fit the way that this world works. And I think even sometimes, maybe even a lot of times, Jesus' love is uncomfortable and wouldn't fit how churches love. If we discriminate and hate liberals, Black Lives Matter, the community of LGBTQA, people against the Second Amendment, even Islamic terrorists, we have taken the inclusive love of Jesus towards us and turned around to regulate who that love should apply to. If we discriminate against conservatives, against policemen, against pro-lifers, NRA members, and other Christian denominations, we have taken the inclusive love of Jesus towards us and turned around to regulate who it should apply to. Our churches... And we in our lives have drawn circles around our lives and we have said those people are outside of my circle. They believe differently than me. They've hurt me too bad. They do this one thing and so I am not going to love them. And this morning as I was thinking about this, this scenario and image popped into my mind that I haven't been able to get out. That there are people in our life that for whatever reason we have decided not to love them. That we have decided that the the gospel of Jesus is not for them or it's just not our place to love them. And essentially what we have done is as Jesus is on his cross, as he is dying for their sins, we come up to Jesus and we say, that person there, it's not for me. I'm not going to love them. I know you're doing a lot right now, but they believe differently than me. They act differently than me. They're hurting people that I care about, and so I'm not going to love them. And we take the love of Jesus that was poured out so generously for that person, and we try and keep it from people. We try sometimes to become God and decide who gets to be loved and who doesn't. And that is not the love of Jesus. That is not the love of Jesus at all. And so instead, whoever our enemies are, we are to love. We are to do good to them. We are to bless them. We are to pray for them. We are to offer things. We are not to withhold things. We are to give generously. We are not to demand of them. We are to do to others as we would have them do to us. And those are all imperatives that Jesus gives us in how to treat. Our enemies. But surely Jesus could not mean that in the face of persecution, in the face of harm to our life, in the face of losing our liberties, our rights, our safety, our possession, that we're supposed to love people, that we're supposed to care about people, that we're supposed to pursue people in the same way that Jesus pursued us. Because I'll be honest, It doesn't make sense in our American mindset. The American way does not leave much room for the sacrificial love of Jesus. Because America tells us to be prosperous, to be safe, to be happy. And when we pursue people the way Jesus pursues people, we will find that sometimes we aren't prosperous in this world. That sometimes we aren't safe in this world that sometimes we will be put in scary harmful and sad situations when we love people the way Jesus loves people and i think sometimes even outside of our religion the list of rules We have these American values that we hold on to so tightly. And we let them keep us from loving people the way God loves people. And I want you to hear my heart because I I love America. I love the freedom that has been afforded to me and my family and the people I care about in America. but American citizenship does not grant you any extra brownie points in the kingdom of God. And so why do sometimes I pursue the kingdom of America over the kingdom of God? Just like the lawyer was trying to promote the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of himself above the kingdom of God. We can hold on to all of these values, everything at the expense of others. One of the questions Pastor Daniel asked us last week is do we try to love God at the expense of others? And I think this is where this this theme of love and justice comes into play, right? Because the lawyer was trying to justify himself he was trying to see that he had justice in his life he was trying to do the right thing and this theme of justice really honestly as i was preparing for this it tied into um, the e-kids parent cue so well because with justice we need patience which is exactly what they have been talking about all of this month to your kids and so if you haven't been using the parent queue and you have kids back there You need to. It is so valuable for you and your family. But their theme is waiting until later for what you want now. And we want justice now. We want wrongs to be made right now. We want things to fall into line with what I believe now. We want people to treat me the way I want to be treated now. And when those things don't happen, we feel like we are seeing injustice. We're seeing injustice in this world, and we want it now. And so in order to do that, we will stop loving people in order to try and bring about our sense of justice, what we believe justice to be. And we need to be patient because God's justice is so much greater than our own. And here's the thing. God's justice compelled him to show his love for us through Jesus on the cross, the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. And so how can I let my sense of justice alienate people and push them further away from God's love? If we are truly pursuing justice and the right thing and the right ideals and the right values, then we are supposed to be pushing people closer to God's love. We're supposed to be letting people see more of God's love in their life instead of less. And so we cannot stop loving people for the sake of justice, for the sake of my own gain. And see, this is the different nature of the kingdom of God. The different nature of the kingdom of God is that there may be an action that may be wise. It may be safe, and it might even be the appropriate choice based on the values of this culture but this does not automatically mean that it is the right thing to do in the kingdom of God. I can protect myself. I can prosper myself. I can make wise financial choices. You know, I can be frugal. You know, I can do all of these things, but that does not mean that I am living in accordance with the values of the kingdom of God. And so we cannot live by our sight alone, by what we deem to be right in this world, that the kingdom of God, the love of Jesus requires more from us than we could ever imagine, than we could ever think to give up in this world. When I I think of doing something that's right in the kingdom of God, but that doesn't make sense in this world, I'll never forget this time I was about five years old, When I was five years old, I know this will be a shock to some of you. I was five years old in 2001. (laughs) I know. You can laugh. It's okay. But in 2001, it was in late September, and I was outside working on some gardening stuff with my dad. He's a horticulturalist, so that's what he does um, now. And so I was outside working with my dad, and we lived in Tennessee at the time, I remember looking out to the tree line, which was kind of far away. And in my five year old mind, the same terrorists that just blew up those buildings could just as easily be coming through those trees to try and hurt me. And I remember looking at my dad, and we were, I had a shovel in my hand for some reason um, gardening stuff, but <laughs> I remember looking at my dad. And And I told my dad, I said, Dad, if any of those terrorists come through those trees and try and hurt anybody here, I'm going to hit them with this shovel and I'll chop their head off. (laughs) And I remember thinking that my dad was going to be really proud of me for being brave, for trying to protect, for hating something that was clearly evil. But my dad stopped what he was doing, he said, Jacob, that's not how Jesus loves people. That is not the love of Jesus. How do you think Jesus loves them? What would Jesus do to them? Jesus loves his enemies. And how do I know that? Because I was the enemy of Jesus. I hated. I lusted. I, I did all of these awful things in my life, and Jesus pursued me. And so how can I look at the love of Jesus that was shown to me Say this person doesn't deserve that same pursuit. That they may be my enemy, but Jesus, I know you pursued enemies, but I don't feel like pursuing mine. How can I do that? That is not the love of Jesus. Sorry. Jesus loves his enemies. And I must do the same. I must love my enemies. I must pray for them. I must bless them. I must pursue my enemies. Because instead of focusing on who is my neighbor inside my little circle, I now have to say, Am I loving the way that Jesus does? And I know I'm still, by all means, an an outsider to this community of Blanchester. I've only been on staff here at this church for a little over a year. And uh, exciting news, my wife and I just bought our first home that is in Blanchester. And so we are so excited to finally be a part of this community. But by, by most judgments, I'm still an outsider, but I have seen the hurt that is in this city, that there are relational enemies, that people have wronged each other, and families have feuds with families. People who used to be friends are now opposites, that there are are people in this town that stand against the progress that this town could achieve, that there are enemies between people in Blanchester, and there is hurt. And so we don't have to look to the Middle East to find enemies. We don't have to look to Washington with all the different political people to find enemies. Our hearts have made enemies out of people inside our city. And what does this love of Jesus require of you? As you look at those people who have wronged you, as you look at the people who have harmed you and are still seeking to harm you? As you were looking at the people who mock you and they laugh and they celebrate your failures, what do we do in return? What does the love of Jesus require of us? And here's the thing. If I allow anything that I value, that I believe or I support to keep me from mirroring the heart of Jesus and his consuming and costly love for me, then I have made an idol for myself and am not living by the values of the kingdom of God. And so in your community, in the people that you know, is there anything that you want that anything that you value, anything that you hold dear, that you are letting stand in the way of loving other people <laughs> with consuming and costly love. Because the love of Jesus requires of you that you knock that down, that you take down that idol and you stop serving whatever that is. That can be your own safety. That can be your political views. That can be your child's success. That can be your status at work. It can be all different things that we value and are not inherently bad. But when we put them on a pedestal and we say, because of this, and you stand on the other side of it, I will not love you. That is not the love of Jesus. Because we see in the story... And the example that Jesus showed through the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan overlooked centuries of racial hatred for his people, looked over the shaming, looked over the persecution, looked past the physical hurt and danger that the Jews brought his people. And instead, he reached out, had compassion, and served somebody. He put somebody else's interest and well-being ahead of his own. And I think so often we hold on to these things and we say this is so important. And so if somebody is on the other side of that, I can't be friends with them. I can't serve them. I can't help them because then what if they turn around and use that help that I gave them to prosper the thing that I stand against? But how will people ever know the love of Jesus if we do not show it to them? If you are not living out of the love of Jesus, how will they ever know what Jesus actually looks like? And so we need to stop drawing ourselves into this circle and just saying, where is the limit of people that I need to love? But instead, we need to focus on letting God's love consume us And let it be inconvenient and uncomfortable and costly in our life. Because when you love people the way Jesus does, you're going to have to give up your time. You are going to have to give up your resources. You are going to have to go into uncomfortable situations and pursue people. That's why Jesus said the cost of following me is high. And so for today... The question that I want to leave you with as you contemplate the people in your life that maybe have been on opposite sides from you. The people that you have deemed that you can't love because it hurts too much or they stand in so much opposition to you. The question that I want to ask myself and I want all of you to ask yourself is Jesus enough for you to trust him while you love your neighbors with consuming And costly love. That whatever it costs you. Whatever it takes out of your life. Is Jesus enough? Is his promise of relationship and love to you enough? That you could lose everything. In order to pursue people. Because we sing songs about God's love for us. And how he pursues us with this reckless and radical and abandoned love. But if we aren't willing to show that same love to other people in the same way, then we've missed it. Then we really haven't experienced his reckless love for us. And so is Jesus enough fulfillment for you? Are his promises of love and support and eternity with him enough that you could lose everything in this life to pursue others? Because that is the love of Jesus. That is what Jesus is getting at in the Good Samaritan, is you cannot hold on to the things in your world, your opinions and the hurt against you and your enemies, and all of that. You cannot let that come between you and loving others. And so we've been in this series, Plan A. And so now we know that God's heart is for People. That God tells us to love our neighbors, and at the same point, God tells us to be the neighbor that loves. That there is no room for hiding. There are no loopholes when Jesus says, love people the way I have loved you. And that is sacrificial, and that is costly. And so in the next three weeks of this series, we're going to look at what does that love actually look like in our lives. But today as you go, I want you to struggle with, I want you to wrestle in your hearts with the enemies of your life, with the uncomfortable people in your life, the people who align themselves differently than you do. How is God calling you to pursue them and love them with consuming and costly love? How does Jesus need to be made evident in your life? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. and We are in awe of your love for us. And as there is so much in this world that we hold tightly to, that we want to see done in this world, God, I pray that you would remind us of your priority of people. That our love towards others would take precedence over everything else. That we would seek people in the same way that you seek people. That we would sacrifice for people in the same way that you sacrifice for people. That we would not become comfortable in our religion, in our list of rules. But instead, you would make us uncomfortable as you call us to reach out to the unsavory people of this world. God, thank you for your love. In your name I pray. Amen.